Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Today is Wednesday, October 4th. My baby turned six months old today. What have you been into this week? Uh, A number of things, not just this week, a little past two weeks, I'd say. So uh, I went to a concert. That was fun. Oh, boy. Did you see a rock and roll group? A rock and roll group. A regular old rock and group. Yeah. uh, I only mentioned it because we've talked about them before on the show. I saw Between the Bear and Me play Colors. They're kind of, you know, seminal album. masterpiece. Yeah. um, 10th anniversary, which is, I was like, that makes sense. I graduated high school 10 years ago today. And it's just like, ah, it makes me feel old. Uh, Not today, but 10 years this year. Uh, And it makes me feel very old. So... But it was really good. They, yeah. uh, those guys can play there, play some instruments. I, I really wish I could have gone and, and seen that because I didn't get a chance to see them when they toured on Colors for the first time. And man, I wanted so bad because that album is something else. And those guys have only gotten better as you know as performers uh, in the last ten years. So I would have loved to have seen that. Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. I mean, I, I remember uh, back in the day when when they were just like. They would stand and just like stare at their instruments because they're just trying so hard not to mess up. And now they're just like they're rock stars. Like they, you know, they're all running around moving and except for Dusty, but um, you know, they just they really, really are rock stars. And I just thinking to myself that I, I, I don't think I catch the initial tour off colors where they played the whole thing, but I kinda caught like the second one, I think, where they played most of it. Um, yeah. but this is, you know, I've seen it all and the way they decide the tour is that when they make an album, they play the whole thing the yep. whole way through every time so i've seen every song they've ever made since colors forward plus a couple extra because uh, they they encore with mordecai which is like off of a very old old album yeah that's on uh silent circus silent circus yeah the first one yeah so but it was it was really good um i, I just i love i love just their story and they're such good guys and just the whole thing is good everything's good yeah um besides that i uh so i have started the second season of preacher Mm-hmm. Uh, which was quite a first episode. I need to remember yeah. to stop eat, watching that on my lunch break at work. I'm just like, ugh, this is not <laughs> not appetizing show to watch when you're eating. Um, I like the use of the uh, using intestines to funnel to <laughs> siphon out gas out of one car to another while being chased by some sort of undead cowboy. I don't know. Who knows what's name. going on? I just learned it. Yeah, yeah. All Saints killer. Right? What? No. The Saint no. of Killers. Oh. You know how there's like a saint yeah. of lost children? And right, right. The, the Saint losing, of Killers. Losing your keys. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he's scary. And I honestly, you know, I don't know if it's just because I'm coming off of, you know, Orson Scott Carr drudgery, but like I have not been able to put down the Red Rising trilogy. I have finished the first book, the second book, and I'm 20-something percent into the third book. Hmm. Um, and they're not like 800 pages. They're more like 400, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's good. Like, it's – I have some c- complaints, like technical complaints maybe, objective criticisms, but it's one of those books that, like, ah, it doesn't make all the sense in the world, but, like, it's just a page-turner, and it's just really, really good. And it's it's cool. It's a cool world, so uh, – I really want to talk about it with people. Uh, so read it so, so you, I can talk about it. So you want me to finish reading uh, before they're hanged and then plow through these three things so we can talk about them? I mean, maybe. Uh, Good luck. No, I, I, I am I am really enjoying them. I would recommend them to anyone who's even remotely interested in like science fiction, although it's definitely more in that like space fantasy I mean, there's not like fantastical elements like Star Wars, but it's more in that like mm-hmm. genre e science fiction, not speculative science fiction area, which we've talked about so many times. Yeah. Did I explain the basic premise last time? You did. You okay. did. Uh, kind of a caste based, uh, ethnically se- segregated society. Yeah. Yep. So, and there's been lots of twists and turns. The one night I was in bed and I, I couldn't sleep. And I think I read honestly like 25 to 30% of the second book Wow. at the end. And then like, I even, I was just like, well, I need, like it ended in such a cliffhanger. I was like, I need to go on to the next book. Just like, I couldn't even <laughs> stop. I think I read for like three or four hours. I was up to like two o'clock in the morning, which is very late when you're an adult apparently. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so, and the last thing I, I, I spent the weekend, I, I brewed all weekend. Uh, well, almost all day Saturday, which was my second time brewing beer. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I really enjoyed it. It was like kind of like I had a bunch of guys over. We, we brewed and drank and ate things. And uh, I was thinking about like, it'd be cool to make like a fantasy book or a science fiction book that has like, I don't know, like the magic system is based more on like alchemy and things like that. Huh. Kind of like brewing. It'd be fun. I don't know. Maybe, maybe really boring. I can't really. Yeah, I was going to think, I'm, I'm like trying to think of how you bring in excitement into uh, mixing various things and heating them to the precise temperature. And <laughs> But then again, you know, Breaking Bad did it. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's kind of the closest thing. Uh, I wasn't sure if my neighbors thought. Most of them thought I were having have a, having a yard sale, and then some thought I was making meth, probably. But um, <laughs> anyway, so that's what I've been into. All right. So this week we're gonna do a little news rundown and talk about some stuff that's been on the TV. Um, but there's almost a theme to the news this week. Uh, it would appear that some uh, some higher ups. <laughs> in the in the movie business have been listening to the podcast and and taking some of some of our ideas um so the first one is uh diane nelson who is the president of dc entertainment so i think that's the that's what oversees dc comics and the movie side of dc so this is a quote there's a direct quote that i'm gonna read <coughs> Our intention, certainly, moving forward is using the continuity to help make sure nothing is diverging in a way that doesn't make sense, but there is no insistence upon an overall storyline or interconnectivity in that universe. So she is saying that the DC expanded movie universe, dunzo. They are moving away from the the entire expanded universe idea and... Basically, what we've been telling them to do once we were back when we were talking about their garbage fire of a film slate. Um, so it's kind of a halfway measure to, you know, just kind of being like, no, just make movies and don't even try to connect them. Um, I think what she's saying in terms of like make making sure nothing is diverging in a way that doesn't make sense. I think what she's saying is like keeping the relative tone consistent probably a little bit um and also probably making some consistency to the world like you can't have you know your next batman movie be kind of a logan type flash forward to a post-apocalyptic world that now you kind of have to justify in your uh, other movies but there's no overarching story to all these movies in the way that there kind of is for the marvel things and really what she's talking about is more just like establishing some like brand guardrails for these movies of like you know certain things where you know there's a certain style guide to the dc movies in terms of probably like you know we oh we're never going to go for a hard r and you know it's always going to be about heroes and never be about villains or that sort of thing and then the rest is just gonna be what it's gonna be yeah i i mean i wonder about this because you know it sounds like they're still going to have a continuity, right? It's just not going to be the focus like it is in Marvel is what I get. I feel like and like every movie is interlinking and building up to something bigger. Right. Like I think the idea is like maybe if some giant cataclysmic event happens in one movie, you can't ignore it in the others. But yeah, it's not going to be like this 12 movie quest for the various Infinity Stones and then the final showdown with Thanos or Darkseid, I guess, in this case. Right. And I feel like, I mean, just, but like, just like make that a real thing. Just, just multiverse it, man. Like, come on. Like, just like one up Marvel and be like, like I said before, like Earth 1, Earth 86, Earth 1500. Like, just make it crazy and just throw those going out. Like, most people won't care. And nerds like us will be like, yeah, yeah, let's see some Earths diverge and converge and all kinds of things. But yeah. Uh, but this is good, though. I think this is good news. I mean, it makes me a little even more. I mean, not that I had any hopes about Justice League or even really cared about Justice League, but it also sort of feels like, uh, you know, getting ready for that, you know, to drop and not be good. <laughs> yeah. I also wonder what that means for, like, their current plan, which was very, you know, because there was supposed to be another Justice League movie coming, and... I guess it's not, I guess it's probably off the table now and I just going to have the characters, you know, I mean like DC, I think more than Marvel, each hero kind of has their own city. Yeah. You know, 
So like that's fine. Like that's I mean it helps to make this a little easier. We're like although the fact that in this at least that they're gonna stick with like what Slender laid out that Gotham is right across the river from Metropolis kind of makes it uh-huh. a little bit harder to ignore. Like oh look you know Superman's fighting Brainiac over there and Batman's just like cool you got to dude like I'm gonna go like punch the Joker a bunch of times while like the whole world is rumbling, right? Like but then again it's yeah. also like I'm Batman's so what the hell am I gonna do? I mean win everything if it's typical DC stuff, but. But, you know, like having Flash in Central City and Green Arrow in Star City and what? Green Lantern in Coast City? I'm going. Uh, How far oof. can I go? That's that's Oh, uh, Nightwing in Bloodhaven, right? Yeah. That's all I got. I think that's all I got. I stop. It's about <laughs> as far as I can go. Oh, Firestorm's in Pittsburgh. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I like how it's like all this made up stuff <laughs> yep. and then, meh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Might as well be a fantasy city. <laughs> so, in very similar news... Uh, this is in the other filmic extended universe where we've been telling them to just throw in the towel, and that is the dark universe. So Bill Condon, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, who's the director of the Bride of Frankenstein movie, which is currently in production and scheduled for a release in 2019, I think. So he's making that movie for Universal, and everything up until today um it's been that's the next movie after the mummy in the dark universe timeline so this is a quote from bill condon talking about his upcoming bride of frankenstein movie and how it relates to the dark universe quote i will tell you this what i'm doing is 100 making a really good monster movie it has nothing to do with anything else nothing zero so now, he could be doing a number of things there. He could be stealth announcing that the Dark Universe is over and they're just going to be making monster movies with these properties and not trying to connect them at all. Or he could just be trying to distance himself from the mummy and try to say, like, no, no, uh, that movie everybody hated. That's not us. Uh, ours is a different thing and getting away with it because this one, I think, is a a period piece. So if this thing takes place in the you know, 1800s, then, you know, it's fair to say it has nothing to do with the Mummy movie because um, it takes place in a different time period. But I feel like if this was going to be a part of something, he'd be have to, he'd have to be filming some scenes with, you know, not with maybe not, you know, Russell Crowe's Dr. Jekyll, but that organization or some flash forward to the future and we see her alive and well in the present day or something. So maybe Universal is giving up as well. Everyone just throwing in the towel. I mean, it's probably for the best. I think that when you start, I mean, I think a share, expanded universe can, it can handle, you know, like a shared universe can handle some anchors along the way because of movies that aren't so good. <laughs> uh, but to start off with bad movies, which is what both yes. DC and the dark universe have done, doesn't really bode well. <laughs> no. And, and I think that it makes you have a very rocky foundation. I don't think I don't think Marvel would have done what it did if Iron Man was like a subpar movie. Right. Right. So, I mean, I'm kind of like, then why are you making a Bride of Frankenstein movie? Like, <laughs> like, why? Like, why? It's not the most compelling monster in the world that yeah. I know. Of. You know, if, I, if you want to make a really good monster movie, I feel like some of the other universal properties that they've talked about making, like, would be better slotted if you're not trying to assemble, like, some sort of weird monster mash team or whatever. <laughs> like... You know, like Wolfman or Creature from Black Lagoon or whatever. Like, if you want to make a monster movie, like those seem a little bit more monstery. See, the thing about it is, I think the problem is that they've exhausted all of their options. They made a whole bunch of mummy movies which, which were successful and that people liked, and now they're trying to do a completely different mummy movie that nobody liked. And you would say, okay, well, let them do Wolfman, but they kind of just—I mean, it wasn't that. A while ago, but they made they tried to make a new Wolfman movie and nobody cared. And every six months, somebody makes a Dracula movie and nobody cares. I just think that this kind of monster movie is a dead thing. I don't think people are interested in these characters anymore. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, is this just like a genre dead end for I mean, Obviously, you can't call any of these recent movie iterations like horror movies in any real way. I mean, I'd say there's probably a line between horror and monster movie, you know, that you can you can delineate. Yeah. But like, even still, like, what makes these monsters like 
I'm trying to think of a recent popular monster movie. King Kong. King Kong. Okay. That's like, I feel like there's, okay. So let's, that's a stretch though, right? It's like giant action yeah. monster movie. I don't also, you could movie. say Godzilla, but that's also yeah. kind of a stretch. That's like, I mean, I would have just put that in its own genre of just like giant things, punching things like, <laughs> uh, that's the official genre title. Uh, but like what something like, you know, relatively what, like thing, like, I don't know, like what's the most recent real, like, I guess aliens, like those are kind of monster movies in their own ways. Like, yeah, I guess I could say that, but like the direction of horror, I think is not this direction. Right. You know, you have like, what are the most popular horror movies recently? Like, well, it, but like, besides that, which is annotation, like things like the witch and it follows and like, they're trying there's like a, a new kind of wave of horror that's coming that has nothing to do with this and i don't yeah. really, and like there's also the, the constant try to like re- revivals of like slasher films and things like that which are kind of still out there and doing what they do and some people go like them because they like to get you know see canoodling teens get carved up into noodles but like but that's that's a that's a i mean i think that if you look at horror it's kind of gone in phases where you had a period of monster movies and then you had a period of you know slasher movies and then we had, I think, you know, kind of between after slasher movies, we kind of got into the torture porn, yeah. um, which is kind of an extension of slasher, but a little bit different. And now we are really into kind of a split between supernatural and psychological, mm-hmm. whereas you see a lot of supernatural stuff, like all of those conjurings and um, Annabelle the doll. And it's all and that all is weirdly like thinly veiled Christian allegory stuff too, which is uh, strange bedfellows that those movies have made. Um, Or you get into like the psychological horror, which it follows is almost psychological horror. The Babadook is psychological. And that's kind of where we're at right now. It's not about, you know, it's not about, oh, there's a scary guy with a knife and he might use the knife on you. (laughs) Or there's a, it, and the monster movie thing where, and I guess maybe the difference is that, you know, in the in slasher movies and in even torture porn movies and in, you know, classical monster movies, like you're really rooting for the bad guy. You're rooting for Dracula. You're rooting for um, Freddy Krueger and, you know, or, or Jason. You kind of want to see the teens get their comeuppance. Um, and that's who you follow through the movie. Whereas, and even the torture porn, like, you might not be rooting for the torturer, but you're like, you kind of want to see that person get it, you know, get what's coming to them. Um, but more modern horror movies, again, psychological and supernatural, like you're generally rooting for the protagonists. Like you watch It Follows and you want those kids to get out of this somehow. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you're rooting for them. You're not like, oh, I can't wait to see which one of these kids gets fucked to death next. Like, <laughs> have you seen It Follows? No, of course not. It's a horror movie. Okay. It's how it goes. That's, that's, sorry. I mean, spoiler alert. That's what it is. It's, it's the monster is essentially a sexually transmitted haunting. I did, I did know that. Um, I, so you'd be surprised. We're going on a tangent here, but it's happening. Um, you know, this October, it's October, right? It's like spooky times. And I was like, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll like watch some horror movies this year. Okay. <laughs> and I guess I know there's been like I know there's a lot of movies out there that are like not like like the current trend in horror movies is not like super gruesome you know torture porn and not tons of jump scares and slasher stuff which is like the kind yeah. of two things I really don't like in horror are those two things so I'm like oh maybe like I'll give like the witch a try or like what is it? and I'm just like yeah but like those are the ones that like really get in your fucking head and like yeah. make you have wacky dreams and stuff and I'm just like oh I don't know if I want that either. So I think I'm just going to watch Stranger Things again and just call it. That'll be my like Halloween contribution, I guess. <laughs> Got a lot of good spooks from Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I do want to like watch. I did watch. Um, well, I didn't really think it was a horror movie. What is, what, why am I blanking on the name of um, uh, Jordan Peele's? Not Jordan Peele. Get Out. Get Out. Yes. That's kind of a horror movie almost. I People think, classified it as, but I don't really think it was a horror movie. So I think it's a horror movie in a lot of ways that like. Cabin in the Woods is mm-hmm. a horror movie. Like it uses it uses horror movie tropes and the kind of the genre of a horror movie, but it it's but it's a much different I mean it's a movie about race that right. you know it uses the conventions of a horror movie to play with you and set up what's going on, but um I wouldn't call it a horror movie in the traditional sense in the same way that like Cabin in the Woods is much more of a 
almost a sci-fi action movie mm-hmm. that you know y- takes place in a horror movie type setting, but um, and you you know relies on you knowing about horror movies and having seen horror movies in the same way that Scream kind of did. It's a deconstruction, um, and in a lot of ways that you know Get Out is a deconstruction of horror as well. Anyway. Guess we'll move on from horror, but uh, yes, yeah. Uh, but so the maybe maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, maybe you should challenge me, Greg. Like what? Pick, just like pick like one horror movie and I'll watch it. Pick one horror movie and I'll report back in like two or three weeks and I'll tell you about how I didn't sleep for a week. Or, boy, oh boy! And you don't like gore? I don't mind like I don't know like I can. It's like the one horror genre I like is like zombie stuff and like that can be a little gory, but I don't really like like tortury gore. Like I don't know. Like I watch like bits and pieces of like some of the remakes of like texas chainsaw and like i've seen like bits of hostile and maybe saw and i'm just like oh i don't really like any of that stuff it's not like it's like oh it's gonna make me puke or something i'm just like i don't really enjoy it there's nothing there's really nothing to enjoy for that for me but sure like so che- cheesy gore means, is kind of fun but so that means uh any of the hellraiser stuff is out so i you know because i <laughs> well no i i there's a soft spot for me for hellraiser and there's since there's so much like um world building yeah. uh, i feel like that might be something you would enjoy but uh so right now i'm sc- scrolling through some of the things that are available on netflix right now uh trying to find something for you i mean i have that... sources so if it's you know there's something that's well, not I on there no but i you know i don't want to i know that you 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 know you know a guy who knows a guy who can <laughs> pull the find you movies to watch um who oh boy I would say uh, I think you should watch the Babadook. What's the premise, or is it a spoiler to talk about the premise? Um, it's um, a uh, a a grieving mother and her difficult son are haunted. Let's say let's just say that it is a haunting. All right, I can get behind that. I mean, I think like haunting stuff might be the one area I might be able to get into it because like it's so beyond the realm of realism for me that I could just like be a little spooked and then not really worry about it. Cause I know it's so like a guy with a knife is like, that could kind of happen, you know? And that's a little scary, but uh-huh. okay. <laughs> oh, no. God damn it. What have I done? And I said it on the air. Should we just edit yep, this part yep. out? We, nope. We go back. <laughs> nope. I'm uh-huh. not doing that. That's too much work. <laughs> that's too much work. All right. I'll uh, report yeah. back. So I would like to see how you, uh, how you feel about the Babadook. I have to watch it by myself too, because there's no way in hell yeah. Shane's gonna watch no, it. No, I don't think she will. I don't think she will. <laughs> I think you're on your own with this one. All right. Well, on from our horror digression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So this, I think, is a very interesting development. Um, so we know that um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller got fired from the Han Solo movie and replaced by Ron Howard. And the question has been, so what are these guys going to do next? And there was some talk that they might come back to direct the Flash movie for DC, but that clearly is not what they're doing. And there's even a question of that movie is even going to happen now. But um, so they, uh, (laughs) their next project is called Artemis. And it is based on the currently unreleased next novel by Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, which was turned into the Matt Damon movie. Uh, from a couple years back. So this is the pitch for that story. And again, this is, this is a quote. Artemis is a near-future thriller that follows directionless 20-something jazz chafing at the constraints of her small town, Artemis, which so happens to be the first and only city on the moon. So right now, already, we've got a directionless young person in a sci-fi setting. Jazz, a budding smuggler unwittingly finds herself in the middle of a conspiracy for the control of her hometown. So I guess they're just going to make a Han Solo movie, but with a girl <laughs> named Jazz this time. Oh, Jazz is such a dumb name. I don't know. It just screams like, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan. I mean, it works not for as a Transformer. As, not but... as dumb as, as Han Solo. No, not you know, as dumb as Han Solo. Of, you know, there's a lot of solos in Jazz. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, that's but, weird. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, I, I really like The Martian, so I I probably would be willing to read that. But it is funny to them to just jump, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I think people are always trying to capture that like 
the magic of Han Solo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and like I think a lot of people don't nail it. I'm trying to think of places that like kind of nail the magic of Han Solo in the same way. I mean, I know you're gonna bulk here, but like I really feel like Firefly with Mal, you know, Mal mm. Reynolds, like that was pretty damn close. Mm. But like maybe better. <laughs> I'm you know, mm. uh, I I can't I can't I'm, have this I'm conversation throwing, with I'm you. throwing the bait out. I can't have this conversation <laughs> with you. Okay, so I'm kind of looking forward to that because I actually feel like something that's a little bit more close in sci-fi. Like it sounds like if this is the first city on the moon, like it feels like it's a little bit more near future. And, you know, I, I like the idea of like a, you know, so for a while there was this idea when they were first talking about, you know, when it was like all of the Disney Star Wars announcements were coming out and there we were hearing that their plan was to make a movie every four minutes until the end of until the heat death of the universe. Um, and they were, uh, oh, oh, they're going to make a Han Solo prequel film. And there was all this talk about, like, who should play young Han Solo? And some smart person on the internet said, Jennifer Lawrence. She's perfect. Like, she has the right blend of, like, you know, cocky, but still kind of warm-hearted, but, like, sexy and dangerous, but compelling. And they were like, she's perfect. Just let her be young Han Solo and who who cares about the gender thing? And I was like, that is a perfect idea. And now I feel like they're like, cool, great. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my Jennifer Lawrence Han Solo movie. But once again, like why Lord Miller? Like they just got fired for making a, a too much of a comedy of a sci-fi movie. Unless this is like a comedy sci-fi movie, which it doesn't really, I mean, anywhere is funny. Like The Martian is a very funny book, but it's not a comedy. Like we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, so I just wonder like, is, are we going to run into the same problems that, like, I mean, I'm sure these guys probably want to break out and not just be comedy guys, but, like, I feel like Star Wars was their chance. And it sounds like they weren't willing to sacrifice their comedic vision to stay on a Star Wars movie. Like, Well, but also, I mean, I think the question is, how far into comedy did they try to steer it? Like, because versus what is Lucasfilm's uh, tolerance for, you know, going off, you know, going away from the style guide for the Star Wars movies, right? Like, you know, they, for them, they were like, oh, we're just going to go 10% funnier. And for Disney, that's like, that is 8% too funny. You're fired, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas this, it could just be like, you know, we, we've, you know, we've read the script and it's funny enough for us. And I, I just, it's tough to say, like the idea that these guys only want to do like super crazy funny stuff. I think it's just... I think part of it might be they just deviated a little too far from the iron grip of that Mickey Mouse now holds over Star Wars. I've got a pitch. Uh-huh. Why don't we get Lord Lord Miller to write uh to direct uh the community movie that must come out at some point. Darm Han Dan, Dan Harmon writing, producing. Mm. All right. I mean I'm six in. seasons in a movie, it's gotta happen, right? Uh we'll see. <laughs> All right. Maybe maybe uh, they did more like four and three quarters of a season. Ah, we're, we're in the sixth season right now on the rewatch, which I have the Yahoo season. I never watched it. It's pretty good. Eh. Uh, they kind of tried to like shove in some unnecessary characters, I feel like, but um, it's fine. Anyway, uh, more news. So this one really caught my attention and I'm very curious. So Amazon. Yes. Uh, they're, yeah, they're going all in on the sci-fi announced. They're developing snow crash mm -hmm. ring world and Lazarus. So, yes. So Snow Crash is kind of the progenitor of cyberpunk. I don't like cyberpunk, um, but Snow Crash was kind of the first really like even established the genre. Um, and I think there's a lot of appetite for kind of retro cyberpunk, kind of retro futurism out there right now. Um, when we look at Ready Player One has kind of a retro cyberpunk feel and... Uh, the Deus Ex games, which continue to be popular, have kind of a retro cyberpunk feel. And even um, the next game from the developers, uh, CD Projekt Red, who developed the Witcher games, their next game, I think, is just called Cyberpunk. And it has mm -hmm. a very 80s aesthetic. So I think there's an appetite for this kind of retro futurism. So it might be interesting. Again, I don't like cyberpunk. I mean, but. Yeah, I mean, like, Blade Runner is a cyberpunk, but it's got, it's sort of in that same aesthetic almost. Like, you could, yeah. throw, you could definitely see a cyberpunk guy living in the Blade Runner world. Yes, yes. Cyberpunk was almost like, what if guys who knew how the internet worked 
guys who, yeah, written by guys who, one, knew how the internet worked, and two, really loved Blade Runner. We're like, what if I put those things together? Yeah. That's cyberpunk. Uh, and for some reason in my head, when I read this announcement, I've been, like, walking around talking to people at work and saying, like, oh, and Amazon is doing a Neuromancer movie, too. Uh, but I think I was just getting confused with Snow Crash because, <laughs> and then I just looked it up. I did not realize that Tim Miller is directing a Neuromancer movie. Oh, all right. So, more for the cyberpunk. Yeah, great. I mean, I haven't read any of that because I was just like, eh, cyberpunk doesn't really sound that appealing. It feels like maybe it's like a, my only concern about cyberpunk is it feels like it could be just like a moment in time kind of thing. Yeah. And there's a certain tone to cyberpunk writing that, because a lot of times you have a protagonist who's just so much smarter and more plugged in than everyone else around them. And that gets, a li- and they know it and it gets a little old. There's also like a, a, from my understanding that there's a little bit of like a, hyper individualism like yeah sometimes like political libertarian strain that runs through some of cyberpunk yes but not casting a judgment on that i'm just saying that, that that is a thing that is part of that which may or may not be palatable palatable at this moment in time uh but in the 80s was probably very of interest to people yeah um and ring world is i've never read any of the ring world books but a very popular very influential sci-fi series have you read any ring world I have not read any Ring World. It's huge. Like, there's like yeah. what, how many books? Like, probably like a ton. I don't know. Just like so many books. And I've always been like, you know me, Greg. Like, if I get hooked on something, like I just can't. <laughs> yeah. So you can't even go in. Um, I, I always get Ring World and Discworld confused in my yep. head. Fair. And so I and like which because they're both huge from my understanding. So, but Discworld's the satire comedy more, right? Yeah, and and fantasy more. Right. Um, Ring World is so p- most people haven't read. Um, ring world, but they've certainly played the Halo games. So you have a giant ring-shaped uh, c- celestial structure, and um, that you know where people live on the inside of it, and stuff happens. So that could be interesting, and and maybe fertile ground for just kind of an ongoing series that takes place in this kind of strange. Um, because I think if I remember reading the summary, that the the ring world in question that you know orbits a star, like it has. Some, something like three million times the surface area of Earth, but it's, you know, only three miles wide or something. It just stretches in this giant ring. So that's kind of that could be a very interesting thing to set up for a, um, you know, just an ongoing series. You got a lot, a lot to explore there. So that could be kind of neat. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just reading a little bit about it. And I once again, because I think I was going to use Discworld. It's not that big. There's the book and then there's four prequels and four sequels, I guess. Yeah, but I didn't realize that it came out in 1970 so you kind of have like a little bit of a trend here like you've got um you know a 70s book an 80s book and then a modern book yeah so lazarus and this is just when i was reading this report about this new amazon slate um this actually looks really appealing and I, i'm gonna see if i can hunt it down um lazarus is a ongoing comic series from image by greg rucka and so the basic setup is it takes place in a near future United States where we have uh, achieved our final form of going back to feudalism where and so the, the country is essentially controlled by six, 16 or so uh, wealthy families and they're all feuding amongst each other. And there is a, a, I guess, a job description in this world called a Lazarus where you are a uh, basically like a enhanced or superhuman kind of bodyguard um so one of so the hero of our story is one of these lazaruses and i just think that setting of like near future feudal america that's still technologically advanced i think that's a really neat setting and um you know again like a speculation on hey what is the end stage of you know our version of capitalism yeah, and I guess it probably me cash in a little bit on that, like Game of Thrones, like, you know, warring families and yeah. the feudal stuff. So, and I just want to make sure we, we are getting our things right. So Snow Crash actually came out in 1992, but that's still technically the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, no, that sounds really cool. I mean, I know, I know Amazon keeps basically saying they want to, they want to make the next Game of Thrones. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think they hope maybe like Man in the High Tower, High Castle would be yeah. like. That I don't think that really panned out. Heard it's an okay show. I didn't really get into it, but um, you know, I mean, that's cool. I mean, I, I I know that they've been. I've heard that they've been gobbling up these properties for a while. 
uh you know if they can put some money behind them and get some good stuff i mean i'll watch yeah. them who doesn't have prime really like they've got this you know honestly i know like amazon really wants to push their fire stuff their you know their own mm -hmm. tv and things but mm -hmm. like just just give it up and like make a chromecast app already like come on you know well they are they <clears throat> so uh, to get really in, into the weeds so we tried the fire tv stick and i don't think it's a and was not very good hardware, um, and the interface was much too focused on them selling me more content. Uh, so we switched over our what was our Amazon TV is now a f Apple TV, um, but they are bringing the Amazon Video app to more platforms. I know it's on PS4, and I think Xbox has one, and uh, Apple TV is getting the Amazon uh, app soon as well. So they are branching out. That's good. That's good to hear because it's kind of annoying. Cause it's just like, well, I want to watch. Like, I have all these options on my phone except for this one, you know, that I can stream to my TV except for that one. So, uh, anyway, one last weird one. Yeah. So, Venom, the movie yep. that. Just why are they making this movie? <laughs> uh, and even more so now after this news has come out. So, a year from this month, really? Yeah. Remember they want they they when yeah, they announced right. Venom, they said. Uh, October 2018. That is 12 months away, and they are still working on a script. That's I mean, screams delay. I mean, they've got Tom Hardy. Oh yeah, no, they're 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 gonna have to push it. But uh, yeah, so th the person who's currently working on the script is a writer named Kelly Mansell, whose most recent credit is Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, film classic Fifty Shades of Grey. So what are you doing, Sony? Ew. Like, out of all the scripts out there to pull from, like, scripters out there, you know, why? And people why didn't one? like that movie. Even the no. people who like Fifty Shades of Grey did not like that movie. Right. And they still made the, had the desire to make a second one. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the third one, too, is coming out. But why? why? Yeah, what? This, <laughs> this, is not, this doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Uh. To kind of counterbalance that, I'll, I mean, talking about like one, you know, one gram against a kilogram weight on the other side. Uh, they also added the stunt coordinators from Logan, Civil War, and John Wick. Great. Movie, which I think are three of the better action movies this year as far as like action goes. Yeah, definitely. So that's good, I guess. But yeah, yeah, no, I adding those three together gets me a very good, some very good superhero action sequences. But I kind of need a script that ties them together. <laughs> and also a director would be nice to know. Do we have a director? I think we do. But he's I not somebody who has a lot of credit to their name. So there's yes, going to be a lot of ifs here. But I don't know. I mean, I, you know, let's go. Can we just go three for three this week? And like Sony can then say like, oh, you know what? We're just not going to do like <laughs> the Sony Spider-Verse. I'd be like, yes. We nailed them all. We, you know, clearly just, the pressure from the podcast has, you know, affected these multi-billion-dollar corporations <laughs> in a way that, you know, we just never could have seen coming. Yeah. Well, you're welcome, everybody. Yeah, we're we're here to help. Public service. Uh, I guess you know we might as well be considered a nonprofit at this point and be tax deductible or something. Uh, so you want to you want to move on to some some TV check-in? Yeah, let's talk about TV. All right. So uh, so sadly. Uh, Rick and Morty season three is now over and we'll have to wait another God <laughs> knows how long <laughs> actually they're, they're, they've been saying they've been saying like Dan and Justin have been saying like we're going to try and do a better job this time at, you know and they, they actually said they wish they would have made this season longer yeah I wish they'd made it longer too <laughs> yeah so I guess I'll go first yeah I, I didn't dislike a single episode this season I thought they were all funny I thought they were all good but and some were, some were very good. Some of the better episodes of the whole series, I think. But overall, maybe because of the length, maybe just because I didn't feel like we really did anything, which is kind of the point. But, like, especially the season finale, I was just like, that's it? That's what we get? Like, usually the season finales of Rick and Morty are usually, like, pretty good. Like, something crazy goes down. And, you know, not that I'm saying... I mean, I know the show is sort of so meta that it's hard to even have a continuing plot line sometimes, like an overarching storyline. But, like... There seems to be something building, and I just wanted a little more than, like, the one episode we got that sort of hinted at that. Yeah, and I think that 
so I would agree. I really liked this season. It felt a lot denser. There were just I, the each episode felt like it had a lot. Like you have to you had to watch like every second of it to like catch everything that was in it. And I also feel like it has in this it veered away from comedy to be more about like it's just a show about Rick's kind of nihilistic worldview or solipsistic worldview. I think is probably a little bit more accurate. But I didn't mind that. There weren't as many big laughs. And there weren't as many, like, what I would call, like, high-concept episodes. Like, the episode where they had the fracturing timelines and you had, like, 64 screens going at once. Or the, you know, like what we talked about last week, Total Rick Call, where it's like, all right, this is just, there's one idea and it's these memory monsters and here we go. There weren't as many of those. Um but I still enjoyed it a lot. I think that I can see why this is going to be a polarizing season for a lot of people, though. Yeah, I think people just wanted a little more, you know, and they wanted some of that. And it's hard, like, when, when you have a, a TV show that's so popular and so quotable and, like, memeable, that's a word nowadays. Um, or for those old folks out there who say meme, heard that going around. What? Um, yeah, they don't know how to read um, uh, You know, like, I mean, and especially when it took so long to come out, that's probably the part of the problem. Like when you have things that have long distances between them, the hype gets built and built and built. And sometimes it can't live up to its own weight of just like, because people have been watching Rick and Morty the first two seasons over and over and over yeah. and over again. I, mean, I know I have, I've probably seen those two seasons a dozen times uh, just because it's like the go-to like, yeah, throw in an episode, you know, when friends are over or whatever and know every line and laugh at every joke. And I think this season isn't that same like you said it's not that same style of humor the whole time and it's pretty dark pretty dark yeah but i do hope that they can you know if they are saying they're going to try and go a little quicker i, I mean hope. it would be great if they do but dan Harmon's pretty busy right now he's got his um sirens of titan series that's getting that's ramping up so i'm not sure that they're going to be able to turn this one around as quickly as they say yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, we can hope, though. But overall, I did really like it. I just I wanted more. And maybe it's just because I'm just sure. greedy, for, greedy for more Rick and Morty. But um, I would have liked to. I wish they would have done a international, international, interdimensional cable episode. Uh, I know sometimes they want you want to break the trope. But, like, I just love the, like I said this before, but I love the um, improv nature of that episode. Yeah. It just cracks me up. Uh, just knowing they're probably just sitting in a studio just like, all right, go. And just like, you know. <coughs> saying it getting a little drunk and just going for it and you can just hear it and i just love that but i mean that episode was still good but yeah and i, and I actually think like the weakest episode of the season was the last episode which may be why i feel a little bit like I, I still think it was funny but out of the bunch i think it was the weakest for me and maybe that's why i kind of have like a bad taste in my mouth at the end of it yeah i think that i th i feel like i kind of see where they were trying to go with it but i don't think they stuck the landing I think that they were trying to set this season up of like basically confronting like, all right, look, we, we've we've set up that Rick is this godlike character, but he's also a shitty person and really irresponsible. And we need to find a way to like emotionally ground this character again. So we're going to try to have some kind of reset where Rick kind of comes back to earth to a certain extent and like, you know where they depower him a little bit or, you know, make him give him some, you know, give him a moral compass again. And I feel like that's where they were trying to get to with this episode. But I, again, I just don't think they stuck the landing. Also, I was kind of excited earlier in the season when we had the Tales from the Citadel episode, which I actually thought was very good, very well written, very. Oh, just, yeah. Um, where they brought back the evil Morty character. Right. And I was like, oh, cool. So that now we have like a big bad that we're going to work towards. And it's like, nah, maybe next season, I guess. Yeah, that's the kind of thing is like, you know, the, it, this show, I was reading an article about how like, I don't know what it was on, but it basically just how like Rick and Morty c could kind of collapse under its own trope breaking super meta method, you know, that like that. I mean, I, if, if they allowed it to happen and they keep focusing so hard on like making fun of themselves and like trying to you know, turn everything on its head constantly, you, you could kind of run out of like steam in some ways. Yeah. Uh, where I, that's why I was hoping like, I would have liked, I think it would have felt a lot better if like 
you know, sprinkled in there are some world building, some story building, some arcs besides just character arcs, like some plot arcs to maybe ground some story points. And we've kind of had that. You're getting a little bit of Rick's past and then, you know, the attack at the wedding and then like these, you know, like this of the evil Morty thing. And I think the season needed to end with another one of those. That's how the yeah. past two seasons have ended. And they didn't do that. And I think that's why a lot of people are going to be disappointed. And that's why I'm a little disappointed. Well, I also think there's a schism coming between the creators and a big chunk of their fan base because uh, Rick and a lot of Rick and Morty fans got real shitty this season. Yeah, um, true. And there's a lot of well, we and we've seen this problem in other kind of works before, where the audience or sections of the audience end up identifying with the wrong character and. There's a lot of shitty dudes out there who um, think they're Rick. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they think that's them. And they're identifying with the wrong characters here. And they are also being super shitty because they decided the episodes they didn't like, they decided those were written by women and thus um, decided that that means women aren't funny and then thus women shouldn't write for Rick and Morty. I can't even begin to understand the logic, but fuck those guys. And I think that if that grows in momentum, that this show is going to have a problem with distancing itself from that because Dan Harmon can be a little bit... I'm not saying at all that Dan Harmon agrees with those idiots. He has come out and said that he does not. But Dan Harmon also has a problem with authority and changing the way he does things based on the way it's interpreted. So I could see Dan Harmon not helping um, just by being Dan Harmon. And also Dan Harmon can walk away from things when they become, uh, when things start going wrong. And I would worry that if this got away from him too much and, you know, if the popular conception of Rick and Morty got away from him in a way that he felt like he was no longer in control, he might walk away from it entirely. And that would be a shame. Yeah, I know exactly what you're you're talking about, given his past. And that I think it's very possible. And I hope that does not happen. Yeah. Uh, but, but into better stuff. Well, I wouldn't say better. I mean, I really like this. I mean, I, I feel like we we just talked about a lot of things that were wrong with this season. This was a great great season of television yeah with no absolutely um, absolutely there's some some icky stuff surrounding it and you know I, I it's not the strongest season of the show but uh still um the best some of the best stuff you can watch on tv this year it's kind of like when a band like when bands put out albums and it's like season two of rick and morty is like one of those bands albums it's just like every song is a hit single you know <laughs> and then the next album you know tries to go a little different direction, goes a little deeper, you know, a little different changes the mood a little bit. And it's still really good, but it's not what what you yeah. you wanted that part two of that second, you know, part two of that other album. And it doesn't that's they can't really do that again because you're just rehashing old ground. So you have to move on. Yeah. So speaking of moving on, moving <laughs> on to the stars. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That was the worst segue that, I've ever yeah, had. Yeah, we've we've had some clunkers on this show, but that was one of them. <laughs> Uh, so I have not watched any more Star Trek yet, oh, even no. though I would like to. I've been very busy, but you have, and I want to hear about it. Okay, well, I might have to do a little bit of spoiling just to be able to talk about how things go. That's fine. So episode one and two are really, it's really, a, it, it's a TV movie. It's its two parts of one longer story that um, kind of sets sets up what the state of play in the galaxy is. Um, for the rest of the season. So you could come in on episode three and basically be like, oh, here I am. The show is kind of starting. Um, episodes one and two are almost like a prologue to where season three really kicks off and uh, Commander... Um, I hope I'm getting the name right. I'm still not good with my names on this show. Commander Bernard um, is... Burnham? I'm going to have to Google Burnham. this right now. Burnham. I'm Googling uh, it right now. I can't. I can't go on. Just gonna call her Commander Bernard. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm almost there. All right. Bernie. Yeah, I just Commander Bernie. Commander Bernie. No. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I know that the captain of the Discovery is uh, Captain Gabriel Lorca. I know that. I got that. 
Michael Burnham. It's Burnham. Okay. All right. Here we go. <sighs> okay. Uh, Commander Michael Burnham gets to the discovery at the start of this, uh, at the start of, of this episode. And um, things are weird. The discovery is maybe a science ship, maybe a military ship. Captain Lorca, who's played by Jason Isaacs, who has played every vaguely British villain in everything you've ever seen. Um, the elder Malfoy in uh, Harry Potter, uh, for most most folks would recognize him from. But also you look at the guy, you're like, oh, that's a villain. That's clearly a villain. I've seen him so many times as a villain. But um, he is kind of shady, but maybe not. But who knows? Um, and Seiru is on the ship, the, uh, Doug Jones character. Um, and she gets there and there's a lot of mystery afoot and some action. And you're kind of seeing like where the show is going to kind of find its footing. Um, but it's a really different kind of vision of Starfleet than what we're used to in next generation or, you know, original series or really any of other Star Trek, um, you know, people are like bitchy to each other, which is, which is weird because you don't notice it until you see it in this where you're like, wow, like nobody was ever really mean to each other in Star Trek before, unless they were like possessed by some kind of space virus. Like, and that's how you knew something was wrong. Like people were like being, being slightly catty. So it's like, uh oh, something's terribly wrong on the Enterprise because nobody's being super nice all the time. Um, and they're, they're kind of plotting against each other and little alliances are forming. Um, so that's, that's an interesting change, but I also think it makes sense in the context of this is a much younger Starfleet. So maybe a lot of the kind of the culture of Starfleet hasn't been established yet. Plus this is also all of a sudden now, now they're involved in a war. So, you know, people are on edge and then they're on this secret mission on the discovery. So it's interesting. And another big change, we talked last week about how it seems like this is going to be much more serial as opposed to episodic, like, you know, older series. Um, but this also looks like it's going to be a lot more character driven. And, you know, when I look back at older Star Trek episodes, because I actually watched an episode or two of Next Generation uh, after I watched Discovery and I was like, I need more Trek. I need it. I need to scratch the itch. Um but you really had like the characters were reacting to outside stimulus and there was a problem to be solved and they kind of worked to solve it. Um, they didn't really drive the action so much as responded to it. Um, you never wondered like with, you know, there's a new development on the show and you're like, oh boy, how is Data going to react when he finds out that Jordy, you know, disabled the power coupler? Like that was never the driving force of the action. Um, and that's, I think, because none of the characters ever really had any conflicting motivations. Like, there was the crew, who you were rooting for, and they were all trying to solve whatever the space puzzle of the week was. And it was never an issue of, like, well, Riker wants to solve the puzzle, but Picard doesn't, so they're going to sabotage each other. Um, I mean, you did have times when the characters would kind of argue with each other, but it's more because they, like... We're kind of arguing for different approaches or like representing different philosophies. Um, but it wasn't because, you know, Worf wanted to like, you know, oh, we should kill the new alien because it's dangerous. And then, you know, Riker would say, no, we need to study it. And But the reason Worf wanted to kill it wasn't because he like he secretly, you know, hated that particular race of aliens or like had a fetish for killing them or something. It was just because he was just making the argument for security. Um, it wasn't, it never came from a personal motivation, but this, it's very clear that that's going to be a part of it, that this guy hates the captain for reasons X, Y, Z, and might sabotage things and might not always have the same interests as the rest of the crew. Um, this other person has, you know, bad feelings about, you know, commander Burnham for reasons X, Y, Z. And, you know, that's going to create issues and tensions. Um, and all of that kind of inner character conflict is very new for Star Trek. I mean, you used to have, I mean, you know, Bones and Spock never got along and were always kind of sparring with each other, but they always generally wanted the same things. They always wanted the mission to go well and they would, you know, they would, you know, snipe at each other, but it was never an issue of, 
you know, you feel like at some point somebody's going to try to murder somebody in this show. Um, so, like, Next Generation had a pretty big cast, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And it seems like they all got some focus. Yes. Like, when I start thinking, even just, like, I don't know all their names, but I can picture all, like, the faces of, there's, like, the guy with the visor on his face, and there's, like, you know, the android, and then, like, all the normal people, and then there's the girl, and then there's, like, you know, like, all these, like, and it seems like they all got a lot of, like, a screen time, so they were all pretty developed characters. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes. Do you feel that that's going to have a same ensemble feel for this, or is it going to be more focused on those two or three main characters I, because of this character-driven nature? I really get the sense that this is Michael Burnham's show. Um, I get the sense that, you know, she is the central protagonist, and everyone else is a secondary character. That's the vibe I'm getting, because we have followed her very, very closely, and we are locked into her POV. Um mm-hmm. Other than those scenes in the first two episodes where, well, maybe not. I mean, we do see some stuff where we catch a glimpse of what's going on outside of her. But it's not like, say, Game of Thrones, where you're following a bunch of different central characters' storylines. It's like, no, it's going to be her story. And everything is going to be kind of linked to her, which is also a change. I mean, there are a lot of characters on the show. The captain, I think, is really interesting. Seiru is really interesting. Um Cadet Libby, uh, I think this is a character who a lot of people are going to not like, and I don't think they're necessarily wrong. She's a little annoying in a poorly written kind of way, but it doesn't seem like we're going to have like, oh, I can't wait to see a bunch of episodes where she's the star, you know, right? where or like Game of Thrones were like, oh, I'm rooting for this person and I'm rooting for that person. Well, there's about a lot of time. What is it? Ten episodes? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so great. How does this make you all feel? <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I, I feel like it is a, it is still a Star Trek show because I feel like the spirit of Star Trek is alive in it because, you know, Roddenberry's vision of people from different backgrounds working together for the common good in a, you know, a society that's gone beyond kind of personal, uh, petty motivations and, greed and those sorts of things is still there because I think that what we're seeing is there's the tone of even though you're seeing all these characters with these conflicting motivations and you know gray morality and all of that sort of stuff it's you get the impression that things would be a lot better if these idiots would get their shit together like especially in those first two episodes like you could see like man they could probably make peace with the Klingons if they could just figure it out. And wouldn't that be better? And then in these newer episodes where we're starting to, okay, what is the mysterious science at work here and the possibilities for that? You're like, man, you guys should maybe do something with that other than try to build a weapon with it. Cause it's, wow, things sure would be good if you stop being shitty. So it's the, the core idea is there. It's just, as opposed to offering like a positive example in the way that like original series and next generation did with like, look how great things can be if we all work together. This is more like things would be a lot better if we worked together. That kind of, um, and so the idealism of Star Trek is still there. They're just attacking it from a different angle. And I, you know, and so far that the, I feel like that these three episodes have been so well put together that I'm 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 on for the ride. I want to see where this goes. I'm enjoying it and it still feels like it really feels like and I say more so than the uh Abrams reboot that they sat down and said what makes Star Trek Star Trek and how do we preserve that while still making it interesting for a modern audience and updating the format and making it, you know, um making it interesting and, and new rather than just kind of rehashing what we did with modern technology and better special effects. Um, I'm pretty pleased. I'm not saying that, that's good. I mean, I don't want to say that the old format is broken, but you know, they made next generation. They don't need to make it again. So, you know, taking some time to shake up the format of a little bit while still keeping, you know, again, with our adaptations rules, like keeping the heart of it and keeping the, the actual ideals of it in place, but finding a different way to tell that story and a different way to communicate those ideas. Let's do it. Well, you know, I, I'm going to go so far. I think that, you know, 
granted, I have not watched Next Generation or any Star Trek, but uh, given what I have my feeling about TV in general, I don't think you can make a successful A-tier episodic show outside of either an anthology show like Black Mirror or a comedy. Yeah. I think the I think the age of action, adventure, mystery, whatever genre you want to say of episodic TV that's not like Supernatural or Arrow or something like that, like I think that's gone. Yeah. I don't think that's coming. And like I don't think even even shows that are known for being super episodic like and like made fun of for it, things like Law and Order or whatever, like even those have embraced a more serial yeah. nature from my understanding of like having some long running character development and conflicts and things like that uh so i just don't think that's like a, a thing that can exist anymore yeah i I, th- I think you're right i think that the tv watching audience has changed people want different things and they, they want the ongoing story they want to be rewarded for their loyalty of watching the whole thing um and they want and, and people like something that they can binge and serialized yeah. is a lot easier to binge than episodic because I'll tell you, I've tried to binge a lot of Next Generation, and it does not work as well as other series do. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you definitely feel it when you're, especially like in some of like the shows nowadays, where like even the early episodic shows that are still on, like I mentioned, like the CW, like, you know, kind of in those old veiny, you know, B shows where it was very episodic uh, from that network. But like something like Supernatural, like you get a little antsy when you get in the stretches of like four or five episodes that are pretty not really advancing the plot at all, you know, because they kind of come in waves, right? It's like, you know, three episodes of episodes, episodic stuff, and then, like, an episode or two of, like, plot serialization, yeah. and then another ep- couple episodes of whatever, um, you know, and, A, you have to find ways to make that make sense, right? Like, well, the devil's out there running around, but, like, we don't know where he's at, so I guess we'll go so- solve a crime in Minnesota. Like, you can only kind of, I mean, they can get away with it because, like, that's what they do, but, like, it's still a B show. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, yeah, I just don't. I, I'd be curious to see it done. I see someone like to try. Uh, do you think? Question: Do you think this is another random topic? But do you think that like with TV serialization only increasing, do you think that like that's part of the reason why movies aren't as popular? Because like not aren't as popular, but aren't doing as well. Because basically, a lot of TV shows are just ten-hour-long movies or twelve-hour-long movies. Really. Well, I mean, the reason movies aren't doing well is a complex scenario and if believe me if somebody had their arms around the entire problem movies would be doing better um well yeah no i agree with that and we talked about a lot of other reasons why movies aren't doing and a big well. part of that is because tv is doing what movies used to do but better um because i think the business model of movies has changed so much where in order to be profitable you have to be you have to work overseas, which requires your movie to basically be watered down and mainstreamized even further to the point where it's, you know, all it really is is action scenes anymore because action scenes don't need cultural context and, you know, won't suffer if the if the if there's, you know, nuance lost in the translation of the language, um, whereas TV shows don't need to do that as much. In fact, what we see happening more often with TV shows is when um when there's a foreign tv show uh rather than bring it over here and try to make it work we just make it ourselves we recast it and then you see that happening in other in in other situations i think there was a essentially a mexican version of breaking bad that was almost shot for shot and was very well received they were just like no why you know we'll just do it rather than try to translate it and make it all work and have make it make sense we'll just basically reskin it um so i think that's a big part of it is that you can make a tv show that keeps all the cultural context which is what you know what makes things work uh i think that's a big part of it and being able to tell a longer story you know people like longer stories clearly um that's one of the reasons that these long serialized movies are so successful. I mean, look at the biggest movies in the world right now, Star Wars, the Marvel movies, which are essentially serials. People want that longer yeah. story. They want to be rewarded for sticking with it. But uh, so, yeah, why why wouldn't that work even better in TV where you can do 10 hours all at once rather than, you know, if I wouldn't watch 10 hours of Avengers movies, that's a 10-year proposition. I have to wait to get all 10 hours. Right, right. That's my point. Yeah, like you can you can tell more complex stories. You can tell more, you know, 
depth, bigger stories, more characters to get more screen time and that kind of thing. So, yeah, well, cool. I mean, I think this is this is what sounds like they're doing what they need to do, which is good because, you know, like you said before last last week, for a long time, this did not sound like a promising show. No. And it sounds like it's coming out of the gate pretty strong. I was I I was I was the most skeptical coming into this, but um, I'm 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 on board. I'm an evangelist for Star Trek Discovery now. Of course, we're only three episodes in, so and really, only one of those episodes is really the show. So we'll see. Yeah, it's like the the, the made for TV movie beforehand or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Any recommendations? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Um. Because I've just been watching a lot of Star Trek and Rick and Morty and still playing a lot of Destiny 2. But so this is a little off topic, but the new Mastodon EP, Cold Dark Place, it's only four tracks, but it's really good. They have um, they have they're they're experimenting with a sound on here that is really unusual and really cool that it's still definitely heavy metal, but. They're infusing it with some country sounds in a way that you don't expect, and it's really, really good. So, uh, "Cold Dark Place" by Mastodon, it's worth worth hunting down. Ben, I've never really gotten into actually. Which really? a lot of people look at me like, and they're like, "What? You of all people didn't get a Mastodon?" I think it's because it just it leans on that stoner sound a little. That's like the one uh, one area I don't what? really like all that much. I don't much, think you've listened to enough Mastodon. Probably not, but. Like I don't, like, I also don't really like Baroness and things like that, so which is like similar ish. Yeah, I could, I like, can understand you if you wouldn't like Baroness, but uh, they made a concept album about Moby Dick. I know, like, I mean, it's Prague, but like, I don't know. I, I just like whenever I listen to a song, I was just like, this is okay. Huh. All right. The, vo- the vocals don't really do it for me, which is part of it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Depending on which of the three dudes is singing, it can things yeah. can get a little weird. But they've got a singing drummer, and I am a sucker for a singing drummer. Oh, uh, you know, he was a great singing drummer. If you want some like black and thrash metal, Absu, you ever hear of them? I have heard of Absu, yes. Uh, I saw them open for Immortal like a number of years ago, which was an awesome concert, by the way. Um, and like they put the he the drummer sings, they put the drum set in the front, and the oh, rest of the band awesome. stands in the back, and he has a little headset, and he just like he's a little <sighs> Wolverine of a man, and man. it's it's amazing. They're I great. love singing drummers. Yeah, uh, my recommendation is is actually just like go out and get red rising because like <laughs> it is just really fun you will enjoy it uh i have a lot of like maybe criticisms that i would like to get some people's perspective on because uh, it was recommended to be my friend and he's he's disagreeing with me on some of them but i want to want to have a discussion and it, i think you'll most people will read it, it's a page turner so it's good stuff well all right guy i think that wraps it up for us we're we'll back next week i don't know if i'll have my babadook babadook uh huh. Mar- Mar- Wait, Marmaduke? <laughs> yes, I want you to go watch the Marmaduke movie. <laughs> Real true horror. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'll have it done for next week, but maybe, maybe the next two weeks. Right. I'll try. Yeah, I don't want to watch it at night because I'll be super. Should I? Oh, should I record myself watching it and then we'll like post it on a video and like clips of me just like looking terrified and like probably absentmindedly picking my nose or something? It's not the worst idea you've ever had. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> We'll see. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll see you next week. All right. Later.